Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Shannon Gilmore. Shannon is the Managing Director for the Innovation and Enterprise Solutions at KPMG. Shannon supports the direction of this big four accounting firm's innovation portfolio, evaluates new investment opportunities, and drives the development of the new service offering models. So thanks for being here today, Shannon. We're super excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. So for the listeners that aren't familiar with your career journey, could you give a little bit of an overview? Sure. I've had a sordid past of my career, so I'm going to focus on some highlights for you. Um, It's very nonlinear. And I've worked in professional services and also in consumer products. So a couple of highlights. Um, early in my career, I worked at Procter & Gamble. I worked in brand management in their home care brands um, and learned a lot. I always call it my P&G MBA. <laughs> um, that is the place where I, I think I bring a lot of my current approach. I learned a lot of um, marketing. I learned a lot around product design, product development, consumer research techniques, um, and just business excellence. Uh, we learned how to manage the business in brand management at PNG. So that I carry through. Um, I left PNG to actually join uh, PwC, where I focused on the PNG account. Ah. So PNG became this kind of thread throughout my career. Um, I, I supported PwC's global. Procter & Gamble account while I was there. And then I went back into consumer products and did brand management and product design. I kind of missed the product side of the world. And then all of that leads me to where I am today at KPMG, which blends really product design and professional services back together again. Fantastic. And P&G, is that Ohio? It is, yes. So I'm from Ohio, actually. Um, I grew up around Columbus, Ohio, and my husband's from Cincinnati. So we spent a lot of time in Cincinnati, Ohio. Fantastic. So did you have any particular affinity before you started at at P&G for consumer brands? Uh, I did. I guess I'm a consumer. So so I do love branding. I love storytelling. And that's probably something throughout um, my career that I bring bring forward into anything that I do. Um, But storytelling is something that I love around brands, branding, brand strategy, and how brands really connect with a consumer and a consumer need. And it's that insight that drives really brand success. It's hard to think of a a better company, and you probably know better than I would specifically with P&G, but it's hard to think of a a better company to have a training ground with in terms of especially consumer insights because there's so many products that in brands that they have that encompass who they are as an organization. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of those early experiences? Sure. Um, so early experiences, you're thrown in very young. So I was, I was so young, right out of college, I felt like. Um, and they throw you into a focus group. And you are, are there to listen and, and hear what's going on and observe. And for me, so much of your career is about speaking and making sure you're heard and your point of view is there. And it's where I really learned to sit back and listen and see what was going on. I remember watching people load their dishwasher to understand how that process really worked and how it varied across different groups of people um, and why maybe their dishes weren't getting clean. (laughs) 
because of the way they loaded it. Um, and then we watched people try to pour detergent into their dishwasher back when the the detergent was liquid and the bottles were very heavy. And it taught us a lot about how we um, how we needed to innovate our packaging, change the experience, and then over time how we created these unit dose, um, the, the pods essentially now that you put into your dishwasher. Absolutely. Because if was you all overfilled it, yeah, and you, if you overfilled it, you had some big problems with dishwashers back in the day. The Absolutely. soap suds filling over all over the place. And... Absolutely, horror stories. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I take from that story obviously the listening piece, but the observing piece is, yes. is just as important on, on the uh, consumer insight side. So can you talk a little bit about your your current role and what you focus in on now? Sure. So at KPMG, I lead our strategic investment portfolio. I look after all of our firm-wide investments in the United States here that are focused on growth. And that's a portfolio of um, what I would call truly transformational innovation projects, all the way down to more commercial innovation projects. You know, we're packaging something to take to a new industry or to another client. So it's, it's very broad in what it covers. Um, it always starts with what's happening in the market. So we have a group that I tap into that is called our sensory advantage ecosystem. They are focused on market sensing. What are those trends that are coming? What's around the corner? How, how then will it impact our business? That really informs our investment case process so that we know where, should, where we should be investing. And then from there, we align those things with the business strategy. Where are we going? Um, where should we be? <laughs> What's coming next? And then also, what should the mix of innovation investments be? Are we focused on short-term things because we have a, a current business need we need to address or long-term transformational innovation? So we make sure during that process that the portfolio is in line with the market as well as the business strategy. And then we focus on execution. So once we get the portfolio right, um, I have a team of people that's focused on taking the idea and making sure that it it, it works. Um, so we monitor about 100 to 150 projects each year from the concept or ideation phase all the way through, you know, it could be MVP development through product launch and then monitoring the success post-launch. So one question I have for you, because I participate in a lot of these future of workshops, right? And one of the number one questions that I get is around how far should a company or organization be thinking about the future? Is it three to five years? Is it one to three years? Is it five, ten years? What would you give the listeners in terms of advice around that? Well, from from uh, the consulting world where, where I come from at the moment, I would have to say it depends. <laughs> um, but it's largely based on your business strategy. I do think we have to be looking far out so we know what's coming. But... There's disruption happening around us all the time, every day. The disruption is probably already here. You may just not have seen it yet. I believe that's a quote from someone that I'll, I will mess up. But I, I think once you understand what's happening in the market, and if you're if you're looking broad enough, you're going to see some disruption that could impact you. And I, it's understanding how quickly that's going to happen and how fast you need to respond. So that could be a year out, that could be 10 years out, but you need a plan to be able to make sure you're competitive at the end of that timeline. And how does KPMG view that? Is it, is it a mixture of qualitative and quantitative research? You use the analogy about listening and, and observing while you were at P&G. I'm curious if any of those type of methodologies are brought to the table when it comes to how you think about the future. Absolutely. So we look at a lot of data in uh, a, a 
in the market. Uh, we evaluate, you know, where venture capital firms are investing. Where's the angel investment going? So we, we have a lot of data sources, but we're also interacting with the startup community. Um, we're talking with startups that are, are innovating around our space, adjacencies. We want to make sure that we, we aren't missing anything. And I'm sure we are, but we try to have broad coverage where we can. Um, and then I would say we take all of that together because some of them are weak signals. You know, some of them might not be anything we need to pay attention to right now, but we need to monitor it. We need to see where it goes. So we have some things that we have in a monitor mode. We have some things that we think, yeah, that could impact us. We need to invest behind that in a defensive strategy. And then we have some areas where we say that's white space for us. And instead of being reactive, we're going to be proactive and invest in this particular area where we're not seeing anything quite yet. So Chicago is a great city to, to be involved with, especially with the startup community because it's growing so quickly. I'm curious, is it other markets that, or, or even other countries that you ventured into based on your, your role? Yes. So we have um, what we call ignition centers in, um, at KPMG that are um, around the globe and here in the U.S. So there are, I believe, seven centers in here in the U.S., um, one of which is in Chicago. We just opened it last year. Um, we have one in New York. We're opening one in San Francisco, just to name a few. One in Denver, um, where we are really, that's where we're centralizing our innovation capabilities. And also, we're in markets where, not surprising, there's a lot of innovation activities so we can stay connected. And how do you think about, um, I guess, d different emerging markets in terms of the investment side? Are you, are you seeing any of markets that are standing out in terms of very specific uh, innovation or investment opportunities? So that's a great question. I'm largely focused in my role in the U.S., so I'm not so much looking at um, global markets. However, we are a global firm, so I'm constantly reaching out to my counterparts that are in global roles. There's some cool technology that our teams in Japan and in Australia are building right now that we are able to kind of sit back here in the U.S., see how that market responds, and be able to harvest that when the time is right and bring it here. So it's, it's awesome to be able to have that global network, to be able to spot what's, what's going on and be able to bring it back when the time's right. So speaking of being a global firm, KPMG has um, received some recognition around being one of the best places to work. Um, how do you feel about the day-to-day -day environment and what makes it such a great place to be at? That's a great question. Um, and, and sometimes the intangibles are hard to put your, your finger on. Um, one of the things that I love is just the focus on the people. It is a people firm. It's people first. And um, when I first interviewed with KPMG, I felt that from the get-go. Um, even in my interview process, I remember um, the partner that I was interviewing with, who's, who's now retired, bringing me in. And he said, I want to make sure you fit here. I want to make sure you're comfortable here and that you like us. And that, to me, was very different than let's, let's go through everything in your resume. It was your resume speaks for itself. Let's see if you're a fit. And I feel like that's how people are. It's about the individual. It's about the person. Um, we're very focused on our values at KPMG. We've just refreshed our values to make them simpler, easier to understand, so that uh, even our new people that are joining can really latch on to them. And I would say those values are very much in line with my personal values, so I don't have a conflict. And I see people living those every day, so it feels very authentic. 
Um, one of the other things I love about KPMG is the focus on the community. So you've probably seen us here in Chicago. We're out in the community. Um, our office managing principal is the chair of the Heart Ball this year. So it's exciting to be involved and be supported to provide that involvement in the community. Fantastic. So I want to talk a little bit about company culture, especially as it relates to innovation. Uh, talk to me a little about your team makeup and um, how your specific team operates from a culture standpoint. Sure. Um, so my team is virtual. Uh, I have three people here on my team in Chicago. The rest of them are all across the country. So when I think about culture on our team, we have to work at it because it's not something that you walk down the hall and have or you create out of going to coffee together. It's something that requires some work. So we spend a lot of time on our virtual meetings uh, making sure that we are getting to know each other, that we know who each other are as individuals for how we interact. Um, but we, we also make sure that we recognize the diversity on our team. So we have, not only are we geographically diverse, we're a very diverse team and we value each other's contributions and ideas because that's what makes us work. Um, I have my own bias that I bring into the room, which is largely around sales marketing and product design. I have people around me that are more focused on go the governance process and measuring and metrics and reporting and ROI. Those are the people that I need around me right. <laughs> to make sure that we have a balanced approach. I have folks on the team that are more focused on technology development that bring that expertise and deep technical experience, which again, not me, but thank goodness we have it around us. Um, and, and just, I, I think that's what makes us a strong team. We get to know each other personally. We each bring our own strengths and skills. We respect each other, and then we're able to get work done. There was a great book a few years ago that came um, from uh, an organization called 37 Signals, um, and it was, it was titled Rework. And it was around this concept of um, how do large organizations think about um, adopting more of a virtual workforce that uh, can be much more flexible and agile in terms of how they handle people that aren't in their, their same location. Um, what are some of the challenges and some of the benefits of having a virtual team? So one of the things that, that is a benefit for us, well, I'll start there, is that my team is relatively small when you consider the size of KPMG. And having us geographically dispersed in, in the offices where KPMG is present means that we can help embed the broader culture, broader innovation into the culture of the firm. So we, we have um, the ability to, to, to kind of harness ideas from the ground from many offices. So whether that's you know, a person on my team that's in San Francisco or Atlanta or Boston, they can come back and, and share new ideas out of what they're seeing happening in their community or their own network, um, and then take ideas back. So we, we can share then back, hey, here's what we just launched um, at KPMG. Hey, KPMG partner in Boston, were you aware that we now have this new capability that you might not have heard of? So there's a lot of benefit in just cross-sharing and making sure that we're embedding. Um, the challenge, of course, is being able to get together um, sometimes when we're in a mode where we have a business problem, being together in one room to get out the whiteboards and the sticky notes <laughs> and tackle it is a challenge. So I've made sure in our budgeting process that we have that flexibility. I want to make sure that our virtual teaming environment is not a detriment. And if we need to get together as a group, that we have the ability to do that. Fantastic. 
So if you were going to give some advice to someone who's looking to launch um, a, a virtual team in the innovation space, what would you uh, provide them with? I would say it's, it's about the team. As you are hiring individuals, you need to make sure that they are self-starters and their, their ability to work independently is there and mature. Um, it's very tough to operate a virtual team with excellence if you, if you don't have that trust built in and if you don't have um, the right people on the team. So I think it starts there. Get the right people on the team in the right places. But there is a level of, of accountability that needs to be there for each other that I, I think is important to set up in your own operating principles from the start. So you mentioned earlier around data and having somebody on your team that helps with the analytics. Yes. How valuable that is. I'm curious what benchmarks that you use to, to you know, mark success within you know, a given quarter or a given year. How do you look at that? So I mentioned earlier just the diversity of our portfolio and what's in it. Um, because the portfolio is so diverse, each of our individual projects have various metrics. So as I think about the technology projects that are in our portfolio, we set them up from the start with key milestones, really largely driving to an early MVP, where we can take that um, minimal viable product, minimum viable product, and make sure that we are then testing it. Uh, we're testing it with clients, we're testing it with internal experts, um, to ensure that we are embedding the right user experience, the right UI, UX, um, and that we have the right capabilities underlying it to take it to the next level. Uh, what we found in technology projects especially is when we, when we go from start to finish, we spend a lot of money and, and maybe they've missed the mark. So we, um, we address those milestones in a technology project with a lot of rigor. And the KPIs coming out of that are very important to us to ensure that we have the returns. Um, for some of the other projects, we, we treat them as sprints. And as I think about success in those, um, they might be short term and success might be fast out the door because speed to market is important um, for some of those to get them out, able to respond to a market uh, signal quickly. And, and for others, it really depends on what we're trying to do. Some of, um, some of the projects are about embedding new te technology into the way we deliver existing services. So I think about our tax business, we are deploying a lot of AI into the way we deliver tax. Mm -hmm. So the ability to harness um, data outside or from forms to um, or natural language processing tools so that we can extract that data and then analyze the data that's a game changer to the way that people prepare taxes today and so our metrics around those might be adoption training making sure that people are leveraging them and we're getting the results that we expected from deploying that technology so i remember a time it was probably 15 to 16 years ago where most of the big consulting firms didn't have much of a digital um, roadmap or, or, or even plan, especially as it relates to a service that they were managing on behalf of their clients. Fast forward the tape, 2020, uh, everyone has some type of digital strategy internally, but also there's a lot of the consulting firms that have stood up their own digital practices, and you mentioned technology. I'm curious what technologies you're most excited about as it relates specifically to some of the work that you're doing. So I'm probably most excited today about AI. Um, that's, that's not probably a big surprise. And it's not anything truly net new at the moment. Uh, but what I love that we're doing in AI is 
that we are exploring new use cases every day for how we can apply AI in new ways to solve business challenges and to support people who are doing the work. I, I still don't believe that we're seeing AI replacing full jobs, but we're seeing AI um, automate tasks to allow people do their jobs better so that they can apply the people lens, their, their unique skills as a person to what they're doing. So I'm excited about that. Um, I, I've heard the term around our firm of it's taking away some of the soul-sucking work. <laughs> and that's always exciting to me when you think about the ability for AI to make people love their jobs and be passionate about the kind of value they're delivering instead of maybe some of the more mundane. Um, I also see AI as, as being applied in a number of places just to improve our clients, um, the work that we're doing around our clients, whether it's fraud identification, helping them um, identify fraud faster, helping them um, to interact with their client, their own clients and customers better. Um, I just think that the possibilities are so broad, and I, I each new use case that comes my way with a investment case wrapped around it, I usually get pretty excited about. Um, the other one is blockchain. Mm-hmm. Blockchain is an area where we are seeing um, some you know emerging use cases again. Uh, we've moved into the, the latest area that, that we're pursuing is blockchain around climate change and carbon credits. And I just think the impact of that, of blockchain technology, um, is just starting to be cracked open. And I, I think I'm, I'm excited to see what's next with blockchain. So I have one more question for you. It's the most important question of the day. <laughs> what's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? Uh, good question. <laughs> Um, so my phone, I largely keep for, for work. I try to have like separation of church and state at my house. Um, so I'm actually going to give you what's on my iPad. Sure. Um, so the iPad app I can't live without is Pinterest. Okay. I am a creative at heart. And so Pinterest for me inspires cooking recipes. It inspires travel. It inspires what I'm going to paint my bedroom next. Yeah. <laughs> any any creative outlet that I can find, I usually start on Pinterest. So it's a good place for me. I love it. And the iPad app is amazing. It it's is. It's definitely different than the, just the mobile phone app. So uh, It is, yes. Fantastic. Well, it was a pleasure having you here today, Shannon. Um, thank you again for your time. Uh, if anybody wants to, any of the listeners want to follow you online or website to keep uh, – uh, abreast of what's happening at KPMG. Is there a specific website or handle? Yeah, I um, find me at Shannon Gilmore on LinkedIn. Perfect. That's probably the best place and where I post a lot. Fantastic. Thank you again. Great. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.